Well, good morning, family. How are you doing today? You seem good. I enjoyed hearing you all laughing and talking together. I love it. It's good to be home. We had a wonderful vacation. I thought that was super hilarious. I ate some almonds this morning. And isn't it amazing how nuts can just like, you can eat it and then 20 minutes later still choke on them. Does anybody else do that? Like, I'm all, how does this happen? Is it stay like a powder inside of your esophagus? I don't know what was going on. But nonetheless, I went out to get a drink of water and then that was when Jason's like, Josh is back. And I'm like, no, I'm not. But now I'm back. So praise God, it's awesome to be home with all you all. But let's, uh, let's begin with some prayer. Father God, I want to thank you so much, first of all, that you are a God and that you are a father, that you're a dad, that you love us, that you've made us in your image and you've withheld no good thing from us. Lord, I thank you that the reality of who you are is so solid. I thank you for the proof of your love found in Jesus Christ, who came and showed us what you're like. Thank you that you, you didn't just promise that you're good, you showed us that you're good by laying down your life to redeem all things. Thank you, Lord. Would you help us today to hear your word? Would you help us today to hear the words that you've written down in this book for us so that we would have greater revelation of who you are and how you roll and so that Christ would be formed in each of us? We ask this in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Ooh, I'm so happy. So happy to be here. Are you guys happy today? All right, come on. Even if you're not, you will be soon enough. Sometimes, you know, it's hard when somebody's like, are you happy today? And you're like, I'm having the worst day of my life. Well, the good news is he's still faithful. Tomorrow will be better. Okay, I'm gonna talk to you today um, about some scripture in Proverbs 1. We've been doing Psalms, which has been amazing. And I was gonna come at you with a Psalm. Yeah, how's that sound? I was going to come at you with the psalm, bro. But, uh, but uh, as I was looking, because I, I, was, I was just thinking about the lordship of God, the reality of that he is our God. He is the Lord, the God. He is the Lord God, and there is none beside him. He, 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 he owns it all. He made it all. And praise be to God that he's a good God. Amen? If any of you have been through restoration, then you appreciate the teaching where Jason says, you know, God could be all powerful and that not be great news if he weren't also good. Aren't you glad that he's good? Whew. Well, I am. I've spent time with me and I'm very glad that he's good. So I ended up coming to Proverbs though. And uh, because I was looking at, really, if we're looking at the preeminence of God, if we're looking at the reality of that he is the Lord God, he is the only God, he is the God of gods, he is the creator of all things, then there's a response that that requires from those of us that would choose him, and that is that we would choose to say, you are the Lord. And you're not just the Lord of the universe, you're the Lord of me. Amen? And what is that, really? That's the fear of the Lord. That response to him when he says, behold, have no other gods before you. I am the Lord your God, and you must love me with all your, all your heart, all of your strength, all of who you are. And our response to that, that response is called fear of the Lord. It's the, it's the love and the honor and the respect and the awe of God. Also, it's the reality of knowing that he is actually a really good, fair, just equitable judge. And he has the right to say, this is right and this is wrong. This is evil and this is holy. He has the right to do that because he created all things and he knows what he made. Amen? 
So our response to that is called the fear of the Lord. And Jesus, man, he didn't pull any punches. Remember, he said, hey, listen, don't be afraid of those guys that can just kill your body. Be, but, but, but instead, fear the one who can not only kill your body, but also send your soul into hell. Yikes! I know, not very popular preaching these days to even mention hell. It's like, ah, don't mention hell. That makes God seem mean. No, no, no. Hell is a, is a testimony of the fact that he's actually given us a choice. Do you realize if there was no hell, it would mean that you had no choice? That's not even the sermon. That's just a really good word. All right, let me share some great news with you as we now delve into and hopefully go deep on taking a look at the beauty of responding to the fear of the Lord. So let me start with some really great news here. This is out of uh, Brookings report from September 2018 from uh, the Brookings Institute. For the first time since agricultural-based civilization began 10,000 years ago, the majority of humankind is no longer poor or vulnerable to fa uh, falling into poverty. By our calculations, as of this month, just over 50% of the world's population, or some 3.8 billion people, live in households with enough discretionary expenditure to be considered middle class or rich. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Praise God! Extreme poverty rate has declined from 36% in 1990 to an estimated 8.6% in 2018. Somebody say, praise God! Isn't that incredible? That is absolutely amazing. You know, we actually knew this would happen because the scriptures said that we would beat our swords into plowshares and plow the fields instead of fighting with each other. And you know when that prophecy said it would happen? After the, the son to us is born and the government of, government, the government, the government of peace will be upon his shoulder and of it anyone? Increase, there will be no end. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that gets mixed into the loaf and it spreads through the whole loaf. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and it started out small, but then it grew and everything found its place in it. In other words, Jesus said, when I come, everything will continue to get better and better and better until I come. And though there will be darkness that opposes it, his kingdom will expand until he comes and completes the good work. So it shouldn't surprise us that for the first time in history, there are more people who are not starving to death than there are people that are. It's incredible, isn't it? Wow, thank you, Lord. Your kingdom really is coming. In fact, we pray a prayer, don't we? It's funny because I feel like I kind of need to convince you right now. Like, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me and I'm reading y'all wrong, but I almost feel like you're like, this can't really be true. Like, because I hear bad news every day of my life. But you know, we pray a prayer that says, Father, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, why do we need to pray that prayer? One, because it's not all happening yet. Two, because if we pray it, he actually does it. How many of you are surprised that he's actually doing it? How many of you are alive this morning? <laughs> Isn't this great news? So we're seeing the kingdom expand and we're seeing his kingdom come, which is wonderful. And it's in response to who Jesus Christ is. He's the one that's doing it. It's his kingdom and it's come and it's continuing to expand. Praise be to God. That's incredible. That's wonderful. 
Here's some interesting things, though, that even in spite of what we're seeing in the area of economic growth, in the area of more uh, ability to, to, to eat, did you guys know that statistically, if people are able to eat, then they don't go to war? Most of the wars that we see actually don't come out of religious ideology, but they come out of economic issues because people are starving to death. And when you're starving to death, how many of you know you get a little irritated with the people around you who aren't? And so then you take your plowshare and you beat it back into a sword and you go after them. Are you seeing that? But here's what's amazing is that when you do have enough to eat and you are able to take care of your family, then you're like, well, I don't want to go risk taking care of my family and loving them and caring for them to go to war just for the sake of going to war. It really changes things. So there's this beautiful thing that when the kingdom comes, how many of you guys know that it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous at the same time? Who said that? Jesus said that. God is a good God and he's sending rain on the whole earth. He's not letting the wicked make it so that nobody gets blessed. That's good news, isn't it? And so there's this incredible thing that's happening in the earth where you have those that are choosing righteousness, those that are choosing unrighteousness, but God is good to all of us, isn't he? Now, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? It's because I want you to, I want you to catch the fact that I, I just, I, I feel like it's like, it's so ingrained in our mind, I guess, maybe, that because there's wicked people in the earth, that maybe people won't be blessed in the earth. It's like, look at these bad people. Look at what they've done. Look at these bad legislators. Look at these bad leaders. God's going to get mad, and he's going to come, and he's going to take all the good stuff away from everybody because of the naughty kids. He's the best dad of all. How many of you, when one of your kids is being naughty, first of all, our kids are naughty from time to time, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. And when one's being naughty and one's being good, how many of you come in and say, you know what? Because of what the naughty one did, nobody gets anything good. How many of you are parenting like that? Come see me. You don't have to raise your hand. Just come see me after church. We need to talk. <laughs> Little scripture that says, don't exasperate your children. But you don't do that. Of course you don't do that. That's insane. Well, you are human parents. You're made in the image of God, but you're certainly not as good as him yet. And you know how to do a better job of parenting than that. Why do we believe about God that he would withhold all good things from the earth because some wicked people are being wicked? Why would we believe that? Probably because we've been taught it with some really bad theology along the way that God's going to punish the righteous with the, with the evil. Y'all remember a guy named Abraham? Do you remember that? Sodom and Gomorrah? And he goes to rescue Lot and he says, God, you're not going to kill the righteous with the wicked, are you? And God says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he says, okay, Lord, then if there's at least 50 people in the city of thousands, would you save it for that? And, and the Lord says, yeah, for 50, I would. And Abraham goes, oh, Lord, I'm just a worm. I'm just dirt. I'm just a small little thing. But since you've already said you'd do it for 50, would you do it for 40? And the Lord's like, yeah, I'll do it for 40. And he's like, okay, how about I'm 40? How about I'm 40? How about I'm 30? Lord, would you go down to 30? 30, you want to go to 30? Now 20, 20, 25, 25, 20, 20. How about 10? And the Lord says, finally gets down to 10. And the Lord goes, for 10 people out of this entire city, I won't destroy this city. And he goes in and he can't find anybody except for Lot. Not even Lot's wife, unfortunately, stuck with the program. What's the point, though? The point of that story is that for 10 righteous people, God was willing to not destroy, at that time, the most wicked city that oppressed the poor and did all kinds of perverse things. For 10 people, he was willing to save that city, to spare that city. Now, let me ask you this. God is the God who changes not. 
He is the unchanging God. Do you think he's changed his mind about what he sees as salt and light in the earth? Do you think that he's going to destroy the wicked and the righteous together? No. We are here preserving the earth. We're those 10 people. We're here. And he has said this. He goes, I'm not going to judge the earth until I come and judge all mankind. So if we have this worldview that, that still looks like that, in the name of Jesus, I just declare to you permission to upgrade to what the scriptures actually teach. Amen? You should have a rosy disposition that God sees the righteous and blesses them and desires to provoke the wicked to jealousy because of the blessing that is upon the righteous. Health, relationship, shalom, and oh my goodness, I'm going to say it, I know it's a naughty word in a lot of evangelical circles, but also wealth. All of it. Because it's all his stuff. Are you with me? You guys are so quiet today. Now, speaking of all those good things, how does that happen? How does that happen? In spite of so I'm saying all this simply to say, in spite of these good things that are happening in the earth, and I just laid a case that it's legal for God to go ahead and let blessings be released in the earth, even though naughty people are still doing naughty things. That was what that whole preamble was about. Can you receive that? God's allowed to release his kingdom in the earth, even though there's wicked people that don't deserve it. The truth is, we used to be wicked people that don't deserve it too. We just now have been redeemed. And then he's blessed us and given us what Christ deserves. So we don't even deserve it. But because of his goodness, he is releasing and extending his kingdom. Can you receive that? If you can, say amen. 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 All right, so we're in that place. We're in that place. And we're seeing the kingdom released to where the World Health Organization is giving a report and saying, listen, things are better on the earth right now. There is more income equality in the earth right now than in any other time of history in the whole globe. And in fact, I'm going so to share a couple things here with you, but here's the deal. Here's what's crazy about this. Even in spite of this great news, here's some other things that are still going on. 39% of adults aged 18 years and over were overweight in 2016. 13 were obese. Most of the world's population live in countries where overweight and obesity kills more people than underweight. Yikes! I'm not saying this to... to, to to take, call out people that are struggling with obesity, the point that I'm trying to make here is we went with blessing, we got blessing, we got the food, now the food's killing us. Worldwide obesity has nearly tripled since 1975, and catch this last part, overweight and obesity are linked to more deaths worldwide than underweight. Did you catch that? Overeating at this point is killing more people than people not having food to eat. Globally, there are more people who are obese than underweight. And this occurs in every region except parts of sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. In other words, there are some localized places right now that for reasons of political unrest, civil war, and horrible corruption that are starving to death. But it's because they have people that are in positions of power that would rather kill their people than care for them for their own political and religious reasons. Do you, do you see that? 
So there are, I'm not saying there aren't sections of the earth that are still facing this, and may God help us to continue to deal with these situations. In fact, Jesus, right now, I just pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in the sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, Lord, and that you would do what you said that you would do, which is to extend throughout the whole earth so that the knowledge of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Lord, Spirit and Bride says, come, Lord Jesus. And let's continue to do that work, but what I want you to catch is that it is actually happening. That we've moved the needle. That we've moved the needle for the first time ever in the world. There's more income equality than ever before. There's more food available than ever before. And yet, even when the food becomes available, then we eat ourselves to death instead of starve to death. What is happening? We see also another thing that's happening. Globally, mental and substance use disorders are very common. In fact, one in six people, 15 to 20%, have one or more mental or substance use disorders. Just say, yikes. Yeah, and then turn to your neighbor and be like, is it you? No, I'm just kidding. It's estimated that 970 million people worldwide had a mental or substance use disorder in 2017. The largest number of people had an anxiety disorder. Estimated at around 4% of the population. Man, anxiety disorders coming now into the United States here are the most common mental illnesses in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 or older. 18.1% of the population every year. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only 36.9% of those suffering receive treatment. Did you catch that? 18% of Americans are dealing with anxiety and America, I got to tell you, for the most part, except for in a few areas, does not deal with poverty. There is poverty in America, but it's in localized areas. And as a whole, we do not deal with poverty. In fact, we deal with the fact that we are so stinking rich, we don't even know what to do with ourselves. And yet, in the most, one of the most advanced nations on the face of the earth, we have most highest anxiety rates on the earth. What is happening are you guys encouraged yet? <laughs> this is from a, a therapist in San Francisco treating many young people, a lot of them, um, a lot of them millennials, um, as well as the parents of millennials, and then some Gen Z. And she says this, the complaint that they're bringing most is, I have too many choices and I can't decide what to do. What if I make the wrong choice? Now, the truth is, I think we all suffer with that because the truth is we're so stinking successful here. It's not like, do I go to work or starve to death are the choices that we have here. We have way more choices than that. It's actually kind of nice when you don't have so many choices. It's like, anyway, I don't need to go on. I need to stick with my notes. Yes, decision fatigue is a real thing, especially in today's world where we are overloaded with information and have an immense pressure to succeed. There are so many big life decisions to make, who to marry, what career path to take, where to live, how to manage our money, and so many options. While having an abundance of choices might sound appealing, studies have found that it often causes us to feel stressed and overwhelmed, and many times paralyzed. You guys have seen that, right? Just like, get. So, so, so what do we do? What do we do? Good night. I want to share a story with you, and then I'm going to jump into Proverbs 1. Sometimes your biggest weakness can become your biggest strength. Take, for example, the story of a 10-year-old boy who decided to study, study judo despite the fact he'd lost his left arm in a devastating car accident. The boy began lessons with an old Japanese judo master. 
and the boy was doing well, so he couldn't understand why. After three months of training, the master had taught him only one move. Sensei, the boy finally said, shouldn't I be learning more moves? This is the only move you know, but this is the only move you'll ever need to know, the sensei replied. I really wanted to do Mr. Miyagi there, but I didn't want to offend anybody. Not quite understanding, but believing in his teacher, the boy kept training. There's a key right there, right? Not quite understanding, but still believing in his teacher, the boy kept training. Several months later, the sensei took the boy to his first tournament. Surprising himself, the boy easily won his first two matches. The third match proved to be more difficult, but after some time, his opponent became impatient and charged, and the boy deftly used one, his one move to win the match. And still, amazed by his success, the boy was now in the finals. And this time, his opponent was bigger, stronger, more experienced. And for a while, the boy appeared to be overmatched. Concerned that the boy might get hurt, the referee called a timeout. He was, he was, I can't even do timeouts right. I did not study judo. He was about to stop the match when the sensei intervened. No, the sensei insisted. Let him continue. Soon after, the match resumed and his opponent made a critical mistake. He dropped his guard and instantly the boy used his move to pin him. The boy had won the match and the tournament and he was the champion. On the way home, the boy and the sensei reviewed every move in each and every match. And then the boy summoned the courage to ask what was really on his mind. Sensei, how did I win the tournament with only one move? You won for two reasons, the sensei answered. First, you've mastered one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. And second, the only known defense for that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. <laughs> <laughs> The boy's biggest weakness had become his biggest strength. Now, I don't know if that story is true, but it's a phenomenal story, and, and, and I, want us to, I want us to delve deep into this, and I want, you to, I want to keep that in mind as we now go into Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, gaining, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, for sayings and riddles of the wise. Now I want you to catch this. What's interesting, first of all, is that all of these things that just got listed here, that Solomon's laying this out and he's saying, here is what these parables are for, you'll notice that even the wise can become more wise, that the young can learn and get understanding, but that every one of these things requires that we actually stop and engage in the process. I think it's very interesting that Proverbs are actually parables and riddles that you don't actually, you have to stop and think about it. You don't, he doesn't just give it to you. You have to, you have to engage your brain. How many of you have been during parenting, right? When you're talking to your kids and they're like, and you're like, engage your brain. And they're like, I don't know. And you're like, okay, well, why don't you read back the words you've heard me just now say. And then they're like, little by little, they kind of get back and engage. You want me to... <laughs> Has, am I the only one? I mean, this was years ago, of course. It doesn't happen now. 
wouldn't want to embarrass anybody. I, I actually remember as a kid when my mom would do that with me, like engage your brain, and I'd be like, Ugh! and I literally felt like it was like steam power, like it took a minute to warm up and get the piston going again. You know what I'm talking about? Because you didn't engage your brain yet. It actually took an opportunity to turn from the foolishness of what I was doing in that moment and start to engage my brain and start thinking of something long-term thinking. Are you guys with me? And that's what these parables are. That's what these proverbs are. They're riddles of the wise that actually cause us to pursue not just wisdom, but the person of wisdom, which is God himself. There's a pursuit that's a part of wisdom. And that's where it then goes right in here. And this is the key. This is the key. He says, here is what this is for, to give prudence to those who are simple. Verse four, knowledge and discretion to the young. The wise, let them listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise that you could, that you could understand and figure out how's this life work. And then he says this, here's the key. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's the key, he says. Here's your one move. You're the one-armed Judah, judo. Well, we could be Judah, actually, that works, but you're the one-armed judo student. And the sensei is saying to you, the master is saying to you, there's one move that you've got to master, and that move is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, I think another, another great way to say that would be that the fear of the Lord becomes the filter through which you discern all things. How much information comes at us I mean, we just saw, you know, this therapist who has been working for the last 10 years in, in San Francisco, a very affluent city, an amazing, beautiful city filled with professionals. That's a culture-shaping city. And those young people, those people that are there on the cutting edge of what's going on are coming in and saying, you know what paralyzes me? I got too many choices. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which way to choose. I got all this wealth and I don't know how to spend it. I don't know how to invest it. I don't know what to do with it. In other words, I have anxiety. And here the Lord is saying to us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what, what is that? That when we're looking at the fear of the Lord, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, I think I opened it up earlier on actually in the preamble to say that I I'm, I'm actually have already made up my mind that no matter what presents itself, the way that I'm going to interpret the, the facts of what come at me is always going to be through the lens of, ah, I serve the Lord. And from there then, I can begin to unwind the riddles of, of the things that are coming. There I can begin to respond to the things that are coming, but I've already, I've already mastered my one move. My one move I've already mastered is always going to be, ah, oh, I serve the Lord. That is, a, that is an interesting problem that we're facing right now. And I serve the Lord. So, Do you want to see the move again? I, I'm not sure how we're going to solve that. That is a very big question. It's a major issue. What should we, what kind of policies should we be voting for? I serve the Lord. 
What does he have to say about it? What has he shown us through the history of God with man that I can respond now with the, with, the, with, the, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and with the guidance of these inspired scriptures of how God has dealt with man, how he has declared through the first covenant what it is to love my neighbor in detail and in the second commandment how I'm able to actually do it under the unction of the Holy Spirit, not to abolish the law but fulfill it through love. What does it say here? What did those judges do in that situation? How'd that work out for him? What did this king do in that situation? How'd that work out for him? What did the early church do? Oh, here's something that's similar to what we're looking at right now. How'd that work out for him? God, I fear you. How do you see this? You guys with me? You know, and, and, and <laughs> let's just keep looking at the scriptures. Let's keep going through. I want to stay. I want to I wanna continue here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's our one move. Now he continues to unpack it. He says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They're a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, don't give in to them. <laughs> I love that, right? It's just like, if they entice you, start with this. No. But why? I serve the Lord. How come, how come you're not having sex with your girlfriend yet? Oh, I serve the Lord. He says that that's to be in a covenant relationship that's lifelong and monogamous. Science shows us actually that, that when you have sex with your girlfriend, it completely messes your mind up to where you have no ability to compare other relationships. So that if maybe this girlfriend isn't somebody that you should be in a lifelong covenant with, you can't see it anymore because you've already bonded with her. And vice versa, I'm not trying to call out the ladies. Ladies, if you sleep with that guy, you no longer can discern that that guy's a bum. He's the kind of guy that wants to take that without any covenant or promise and then keep you in fear that unless you act appropriately, he's going to leave you. And your brainstem thinker was created, like all of us, to bond together. And to make it to where you compare that spouse with no one else. Because that's the one thing that's different in the relationship from every other relationship. Brilliant, isn't it? It's brilliant. How do I know that that person's my wife? Well, I have a lifelong covenant with them. And they're the only one with whom I make love. It makes it very easy to know that that relationship is unique. And God wired us that way and actually made it to where our brain responds appropriately if we'll do it his way. That's not to make people feel guilty. It's to say, embrace the way that he wired you so that it will go well with you and you will dwell long in the land. Are you with me? And he actually made your brain do what it's supposed to do to encourage you in that relationship. Now we can look at brain scans and see how the brain actually does it and how amazing it is and actually how destructive it is and you need to be healed and let the brain heal itself if you're outside of the order of how God created this. He actually has to heal your brain. He can do it. But you've, you've, actually, you've actually got some brain damage right now if you've done it out of order and he has to heal that. It takes some time. But he can heal it. Which is great news, by the way. But it all started with some very basic words where he says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
if you will live life the way that God has called you to live it, you will be blessed because you did it in everything that you do. That's not moralism. Although there's a moral component, but it's actually, this is how life works really good. Do you want to have a relationship with fear in it? Or do you want to have a relationship that's based on a covenant of love? You choose. It begins with the fear of the Lord. That's just one example. But man, what a good one, huh? Guys, you're so quiet today. I'm just going to assume that this is so brilliant that you're just like, mm, that's good. My son, if sinful men entice you, don't give in to them. If they say, come along with us, listen to this one, this one's awesome. Let's lie in wait for innocent blood and let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us and we'll share the loot. You know what? Do you know that there are a lot of economic policies that are going on right now that are based completely on what these wicked men are saying? That we will lie and wait for those who have the things that we want, envy, thou shalt not envy, and then cast in with us and we will all take a share of what we took from those rich people, envy. How many times have you seen bloody revolutions that happen that, be, that start with a political out view, I mean, uh, outlook for economic equality that end in a bloody revolution, murder. These are the seeds of murder. Dang. But when you say, I fear the Lord, I fear the Lord, what does he have to say about this? This economic policy this person is talking about, though they have this beautiful part of compassion here, and we do need to make sure that we're looking at compassion and generosity and justice and equity, we, we must hold on to those things. Those are God's things. We also must make sure that we don't violate the commands of you shall not envy, do not covet your neighbor's wife or his donkey or his house or anything else that he has. Don't do that because I am the Lord your God. I will take care of you. I will help you. You're not getting it from that person that has more stuff than you. You're getting it from me and they got it from me. You need to be looking at it and saying, God, if you gave it to them and they're not even righteous, surely you're gonna take care of me. Can somebody say amen? amen? How do you come to those conclusions? Because you already have chosen, I fear the Lord. How will I interpret these things? And beloved, we don't have an excuse to be walking through this world as fools. Can you receive that? We don't have an excuse to remain foolish. We're actually called to say, Lord God Almighty, you are the Lord and I am not. Teach me your ways. Give me wisdom that I would not be foolish and resist instruction. Show me, oh God, how to live that I would glorify you in all things. I fear you. What do you have to say about this, Lord? How many of you... No, that's a, that's a bunny trail. I'll preach on it next week. Let's keep going. Son, don't go along with them. Don't set foot on their path, for their feet rush into evil. They're swift to shed blood. They, how useless to spread a note where every, I'm sorry, a note, a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. He's saying, 
These guys don't even see the fact that the trap that they're setting is for themselves. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Now out in the open, wisdom calls aloud and she raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. All this, at the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Wisdom's coming in and saying, don't argue. Drop on your knees. Fear the Lord and let me teach you something. I will make known to you my teachings, verse 24, but since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and don't accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then you will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but they will not find me since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and they'll be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. What, what he's saying here is he's going, look, I, wisdom, would like to teach you every good thing. But if you decide to resist me, you will become a cautionary tale so that other wise people will learn how not to do it by pointing at you. Think of Enron. Think of the housing bubble that was brought on by people that colluded together, right? We look at that now and we go, that's a cautionary tale of what you shouldn't do. Now, is it, is it cruel that we learn from the mistakes of wicked men? Absolutely, that's not cruel. It reminds our own heart to say, you know what? I bet those guys were using the exact same justifications that I use when I'm justifying naughty things. Only they took it to a whole nother level that I'm not at yet, but that's just because I might not be responsible for as much stuff right now. So it becomes a cautionary tale. Are you with me? I sometimes worry about our day and age because so often we sort of judge the character of God based on the fact that when you do something really stupid and you get your comeuppance, when you get the, the outcome of your stupid decision, that because God says, look, this is how reality works, and he speaks in first person. So he'll say, if you do this, I'm going to do this. But he's not personally coming over and being like, doink. No, gravity does that to you. He's saying, look, I created reality and here's how it works. You throw a hammer up in the air and it hits you in the head. That's what happens when you throw a hammer up in the air. Don't do it. Are you guys seeing that? So it's not that God's running around with a list of people to give a spanking to. He's already set it up. You're, you're signing up for your own spanking. Can you receive that? So it's important for us to learn, first of all, from other people's mistakes, hopefully, and especially from your own mistakes, why you want to learn that one twice? But at the end of all of this, this is what I love. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. I like, I like this, uh, I like the way that the Amplified says it as well. But whoever listens to me will live securely and in confident trust and will be at ease without fear or dread of evil. The fear of the Lord is our one move. You guys, we are going to continue to hear a whole lot of amazing facts. And facts are incredible, but they have to be interpreted. And if we 
are not seeing all things in this life through the lens of the fear of the Lord. If our one move is not to say, ah, but as for me and my house, we fear the Lord. And to turn to our knees and to turn to the scriptures through the Holy Spirit and say, God, how would you like me to respond to this right now? One of the things, you know, um, I'm excited to see as, as science continues to interpret the facts of this current warmth of our planet and the cycles of ice sheets and the depth of the ocean and the rising of the ocean and what cycle that is or isn't. Because again, these are facts, but they have to be interpreted. I'm encouraged to see how it will all come out. None of it has been as dire as has been predicted. But there is a fluctuation. But the reason why I'm at peace is not because I'm a scientist, I am not. It is not because I am brilliant. I was hoping somebody was gonna say, oh no, no, no. (laughs) But it is because the Lord said to Noah, I will never again flood the earth until I come and judge the earth. That's what he said. And Jesus Christ, when he came, he affirmed the entire covenant and said, not one jot or tittle will be changed until I fulfill all things. So I'm confident that God's design and desire to redeem all of those that would come to him. And it says, in fact, don't consider him taking a while to get here as though he's forgotten us, but actually in his patience, he's desiring that all that would be saved will be saved. He's not going to flood the earth. And so I'm at peace because I fear the Lord. And God himself said, I won't flood the earth again. So I'm not worried that the oceans are going to flood the earth again. That's where, that's where I draw that. Now, some would laugh at me and say, oh my gosh, you rube. Like, what are you doing? And you know what? I would say, hey, listen, if I were in your shoes and didn't fear the Lord, I'd probably think I'm a rube too. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ came into history as a man and died and rose again and said, I am the son of God and I've proved it. I'm the only Messiah that has risen from the dead. I have eternal life and I've given you eternal life. And these are the words of life and I want you to learn by them. So I've already decided I fear the Lord. So I interpret the facts through the lens of the fear of the Lord and I'm at ease and secure and confident with no fear of evil. Do I deny the facts? No, I don't have to deny the facts. They're right there. But I certainly don't interpret them in a way that would cause me to be in fear or dread. Do you see that? And that's just one example of many. So I've talked to you now about sex in marriage. I've talked to you about money. I've talked to you a little bit about that maybe there's room and space and time to interpret climate change and its fluctuations in the earth in a way that maybe doesn't require as much fear as is going on right now. But all of these, here's what they have in common. Here's what they have in common. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as we see all things through him, we have no reason to be afraid. And we have no reason to have anxiety. So if you've been in a place where you've found yourself overwhelmed. Maybe you're like the millennials and and moms and dads of millennials and children of millennials and you have anxiety because you just have so many options. I want to encourage you today to embrace 
these beautiful inspired words of God given through Solomon, that you would go back to that initial place and say, wait, I fear the Lord. I don't have to consider every option that comes. I've already chosen the one option. I got one move. I'm not gonna give him another arm to throw me. I'm gonna go with my one move and whatever comes at me, me and Jesus, we're gonna throw them. Can you receive this word today? All right, if you need prayer today, the prayer servant team is gonna come and, uh, and Lord, I, I, I just wanna pray for us and then we'll, we'll head out, okay? Father God, we wanna, we wanna praise you because the reality is you love us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come. Thank you that you are here. Thank you for these amazing saints and that you're forming Christ in each one of us. Lord, let your kingdom come. And Father, in any place where we've been suffering from anxiety or double-mindedness or a sense of having to have an answer for everything, Lord God, would you bring us back to that one move that it's you that we serve and that you're leading us and that your word is enough and you are enough. So we need not be afraid. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.